Hello, I'm Dr Jodie Richardson and you're listening to Well Hello Anxiety, a podcast where we end the struggle with anxiety and build our toolkit of practical skills to thrive. Hello, thank you for joining me for another episode where it's you and me. I really love these episodes and I wonder if you'll join me at the very start of this episode to take a lovely deep breath, just a really deep breath, really using that diaphragm to fill the lungs and extend that exhale, really extend that exhale. Maybe raise your shoulders up to your ears and drop them back down again. Maybe unclench your jaw. Those of us who live with anxiety, we can carry this tension in our days sometimes without even realising. So pay attention to those cues that your body gives you around tension. When your breathing might change, you may have been breathing in a shallow way for a period of time. Take a moment to bring your attention onto how you're feeling. Relax your jaw. Take some deep breaths. Maybe press your feet into the floor and drop anchor. And join me for an episode where I'm going to share with you some insights into my experience with anxiety, how well that worked for me or not. And I'm going to also invite you to reflect on what you are doing to try to manage your own thoughts and feelings and how that's working for you too. One of the things I want to share at the beginning of this episode is that when we reflect on the ways in which we're trying to manage anxiety and notice that perhaps some of these are drawing us away from being able to live the life that we'd really want to live or taking our attention away from the people that we really want to be making memories with and focused on. There can be some sadness that can come up. There can be sometimes this knowing and this recognition that what's been happening may not have been working for you as well as you would have hoped. You may not have reflected on that in the past. All of that is okay. One of my great mantras, one of the mantras that I love, I should say, comes from my mum and it's when we know better, we do better. This is a podcast to help you end the struggle with anxiety and this is an episode where we're going to be shining a light on what we do to try to manage thoughts and feelings, what may be helpful, what might not be, and a little bit about what we can do instead. But also the other episodes that I'm recording for you are building that toolkit, building that knowledge to help you to change your relationship with anxiety. I think I pretty much spent the first half of my life uh, trying to actually control what I thought and felt. So trying to control my thinking, trying to control what I felt, really trying very hard to not feel anxious, remembering that I wasn't diagnosed with anxiety till I was 24 and my first symptoms came upon when I was four in my very first year of school. I know when the anxiety first started, the symptoms first started, I felt really sick in the stomach and the management strategy that seemed really obvious to me was just don't go to the place that makes me feel anxious, which was school. So this is where my first experience of avoidance came in, although because I was only a little dot and I would say to mum, I don't feel well, I don't want to go to school. I didn't have the choice about whether I went or not. My mum did and she sent me to school each and every day and I'm so thankful she did because 
we know that avoidance, and I've spoken about this before, avoidance becomes a downward spiral. Uh, when we're avoiding what it is that makes, makes us feel anxious, the brain recognises that as, oh, good decision, I avoid this, I don't feel that, let's make sure we make this same decision next time. And of course, the walls of life can really start to close in. When I was a child, I worried terribly. I'm really pleased to be able to tell you that using the strategies that I share with you here on the podcast and in my presentations and in my books, I don't worry anymore. Sure, I have worries that bubble up to the surface, but I use my skills of being able to observe my thinking, really being able to observe what I'm thinking, notice what I'm thinking, and use diffusion strategies to put space between me and what I'm thinking. And they enable me then to turn my attention back to what's important and get on with what I need to do in the moment, even when I've been having really big challenges in my life. They do pop up. Of course, they come back, but I'm able to reapply these strategies. And I'll continue to share these with you throughout the podcast episodes as I have done in the past. I worried a lot as a child. It was it was an all-consuming part of my day. And so in order to try to cope with the feelings that would arise when the worries would show up, I would seek reassurance. So that was a strategy that I really leaned on for a very long time, right into my early 20s. And when my mum was no longer the one reassuring me, my husband Peter was the one that sort of took the place of the person that would provide that reassurance and really tell me everything was going to be okay. And so reassurance was another strategy that I used, seeking that reassurance and really trying to help settle the anxious feelings and the worries and the dread and the catastrophic thinking that I uh, spent so much time enduring as a child and as a teenager and as a young adult. When I couldn't sleep, I would try very hard to picture a, a lovely picture in my mind I really thought that I could change what I thought and I focused so terribly hard to do that, not knowing that we can't control what we think and that we can waste a lot of time and energy and really beat ourselves up for not being able to do what some people might suggest will be helpful. I know my gorgeous mum, not knowing that I had anxiety and also living with an anxiety disorder herself would try to help me to get to sleep by asking me to picture something that felt good and that was uplifting. I tried really hard to do that, but would often fall asleep wondering why I couldn't do this thing that uh, was supposed to be the answer to my nighttime worries. And I look back on these days and I wonder how hard it was for my parents seeing what I was going through and not having the resources and not having the help and the understanding for their own mental health, let alone in their parenting journey. So I'm really super grateful to my mum for the compassion, kindness, warmth and love that she shared with me and the ways that she really worked hard to help me with my anxiety, doing the best she could with what she had. Not being able to stand imperfections around my nail beds, I used to, and I still do to a certain extent, uh, engage in skin picking, which is also known as excoriation. So It's not something I've shared with you on the podcast before, but I really don't mind talking about any of my experiences. It's just not something that's come up, uh, come to the front of my mind to share with you. Some people will pick at their skin, whether it's around their nails or their toes or 
on other parts of their body to find comfort and and to find a, a type of relaxation that comes from that experience. My skin picking was different. It's it's a body focused repetitive behavior that's linked to OCD. And it comes from the point of view where there might be a little cuticle that feels a little rough and I couldn't tolerate that imperfection and that rough feeling. So I would pull at that skin to try to create a smooth surface. But in doing so, I would tear at the skin around my fingers and I, I had so many infections around my nail beds as a child. It was so embarrassing. But of course, again, it just wasn't understood what I was doing and why I was doing it. And it was a, a compulsive habit I couldn't stop. As I said, that's not so much of an issue for me now. Every now and again, I will find myself skin picking. It's usually around my toes, but I really am much more mindful in my actions than I ever have been before. And so I'm able to recognize what's happening and wearing Ugg boots around the house and at night, which is often a time I will do that, uh, is really helpful for me as well because I have to consciously remove an Ugg boot to be able to start that behavior. So I've got I've got that sort of barrier in place, I suppose. When I was younger, I'd also have obsessive thoughts about bad things happening, typically to my parents. So I would engage in strategies to minimise the anxious thoughts and feelings that would come with those intrusive thoughts. I would count. There was a lot of counting. I wouldn't often realise that I was counting. I have a propensity for even numbers. I would avoid cracks in the pavement because I genuinely thought if I stood on a crack that I would be responsible for some some sort of tragedy. And I would also wash and sterilise when I was a new mum and I was having to wash and sterilise nipple shields and bottles for our son. I engaged in really compulsive sterilisation and hand washing that was all-consuming for a period of time when I was experiencing postpartum depression and wasn't aware. So there have been a lot of experiences uh, in my life. They're just some of the experiences that I'm sharing with you today where my anxiety has cost me so much in the way of time, in the way of energy, and has really robbed me of being able to enjoy the moment, being able to really be present, being able to engage with the people around me, my own children, my husband, my friends, my family. And what I love about this podcast and about my work is that that is no longer the case for me. That is no longer the case for so many as we change our relationship with our anxiety. And, you know, what we know about these strategies and behaviours, I used to clean a lot as well, lots and lots of cleaning, which was just a distraction technique. Again, I didn't know as I did these what I was avoiding or why I was doing it. And perhaps that's the same for you or for somebody you love and care about as well. I know that if they did help, it was only short-lived. And in the long run, these strategies cost me in terms of pain around the, the picking of the skin around my fingers and the embarrassment and the infections and the frequent trips to the doctor, the avoidance of engaging with people when I was feeling low, especially when I was a new mum. There's so many ways that I look back how the anxiety really got in the way of life and I really, I still, I still have my ups and downs and I would never want you to think that I live a life free of anxiety. That's not what this is about. I live with anxiety and I bring it along with me. And as Carly Taylor 
says uh, so beautifully that we've we've got to make sure we're in the driver's seat. As I've always said, you know, we've got to make sure that it's coming along for the ride, often in the back seat. Uh, we're in the driver's seat. We're controlling the direction that our life is going. We're not waiting for our anxiety to go. We're bringing it along with us, but we're also learning ways to dial it down, to manage it and strategies to help us really move forward with intention, with focus, with a present mind and with this willingness to experience what anxiety brings for us, but still do what's really important. So an important step for all of us in really changing our relationship with anxiety is identifying what we do as I have shared with you today or what I've done in the past to avoid really difficult thoughts and feelings because they are difficult, they are uncomfortable, unpleasant, distressing and we don't like them, we don't want them and so it can be really natural to do things to not feel that way even even if it's for a short period of time but there is another way forward and they're the different strategies that I'm sharing with you and that my guests are sharing with you here on the podcast. So there's a really great acronym that Russ Harris shares and it's DOTS, D-O-T-S. And I invite you to take some time and think about what strategies you're putting into place to avoid unhelpful thoughts and feelings. So D is for distraction. How do you distract yourself? Is it through screens? Is it through Netflix or social media? Could it even be through something that otherwise is a really healthy undertaking reading? So for some people who struggle a lot with anxiety, if reading is so consuming that they're not able to engage in other important parts of life, then that would be a strategy that is getting in the way and is costing time, costing uh, experiences in other rich parts of life. But if reading is a beautiful part of a balanced life where you are changing your relation with anxiety and it's not a distraction technique in and of itself, then that's okay. So only you will know. I'm only sharing examples just to see if some of them might strike a chord with you and help you reflect on where you're at in terms of avoidance and the strategies that you're using. So O is for opting out. So this was the classic, this is a classic thing that we do when we're anxious. We avoid, we withdraw, we might quit, we might uh, discontinue, we might uh, say yes and then say no, we might procrastinate. There's lots of ways that we can opt out and avoid and it's a really common strategy used in anxiety and particularly for those of you who are parents of anxious kids, you'll be able to observe this withdrawal and avoidance behaviour Uh, quite clearly. T is for thinking strategies. What thinking strategies are you using to avoid difficult thoughts and feelings? Is it lots and lots of worry? Is it that laser focus on the problem in a futile, often a futile attempt to problem solve and be able to move beyond what's causing the anxiety? So much worry is so exhausting and the energy that we can expend is so tiring. So when when we're in fight or flight and really stuck and our body's expending a lot of energy plus we're, we're using strategies that are unhelpful, we can become quite exhausted 
and tired. So if you feel very tired with, with your anxiety, that's a really natural side effect, I suppose. But of course, something that will begin to change as you learn to manage, manage your symptoms, dial your anxiety down and build a willingness and the know-how to move forward in the direction of what really matters, what really lights you up. The S in DOTS is for substances and other strategies. So maybe that's alcohol or cigarettes or drugs or food. And these are often ways that substances can be used to help really cope with distressing emotions, difficult thoughts and feelings. Again, there can be a short-term relief accompanying these, but they can bring with them further challenges. So as I said before, it can be painful. I understand that. I know for me, when I look back on the ways that I've managed anxiety in the past, and even now, I don't always uh, draw on the helpful strategies. Sometimes I do turn to unhelpful strategies, but I'm better equipped to be able to notice and to be able to recognise and to be able to make change. And I'm here to support you to do that as well. So I really would like you to show the kindness to yourself that you would show a friend who is drawing their attention to any distractions, opting out, thinking or substances that are used as strategies to manage painful thoughts and feelings. I would like you to show yourself that self-compassion, that kindness as you reflect on what strategies you're using and how they're working for you. How are they working for you? Some might be part of a very healthy, balanced approach to anxiety management and living a rich life. Uh, exercise, for example, reading, connecting with friends. So only you will know how they're working in your life and how you might and where you might like to start in terms of actually changing your relationship with anxiety and trying to do things in a different way. So some of the ways that we can do that, uh, that I'll talk to you in other episodes about, will be making room for anxiety, practicing acceptance, present moment awareness, noticing thoughts, noticing and observing our actions, what we're thinking, what we're doing in any given moment, reconnecting with our values and taking committed action in line with those values, really developing that willingness, as Dr. Forsyth said, to move forward bring our anxiety along for the ride, dial it back and bring it to a point where it's like a radio just humming along in the background so that our rich and fulfilling and wonderful lives can take front of centre. Look, I know life can be really difficult. We all have our share of challenges, some more than others at different stages of life. And so these skills that I'm sharing will make a positive difference for you in changing your relationship with your anxiety. That's what we're here to do and being able to move forward and do the things that are on your heart and support the people around you as well. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much for sharing your precious time with me. I never take it for granted. And if you did find this episode helpful or one of the other episodes helpful, it would be so appreciated if you would jump into your podcasting platform and leave me a review. I read every single one and uh, they warm my heart as I learn how this podcast is making a difference. So thanks again. Take care. And I very much look forward 
to being back again with you next week. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a review. To keep the conversation going, I'd love you to join me over on Instagram. You'll find me at Dr. Jodie Richardson. Also, if you'd like a copy of my free five-day mini email course, Calm Your Anxious Brain, then jump over to my website, drjodyrichardson.com, and you can sign up down the bottom. I've really enjoyed having your company. Thanks so much. See you next time.